Welcome back, City Bible Church. Eight months ago, we began a series called The Church as Diaspora, where when we realized the coronavirus was shutting down society, we saw that the church was going to go through a prolonged season of disruption and dispersion. And so we have spent the past eight months looking at these major passages in both the New and the Old Testament that helped God's people to follow God during their own diaspora. And so we've been asking, how can this help us here in the 21st century? So we've been looking at the teaching, teachings of the Apostle James and the Apostle Peter in the New Testament as they spoke to the Gentile and Jewish Christians in diaspora in the Roman Empire. We've been looking at uh, how God's people in the Old Testament, through the major and minor prophets, experienced their own diaspora during the Assyrian and Babylonian invasions. So what did that teach us about how God interacted with them for us to learn to, from today? And we've also been looking the past few months at how the church in the book of Acts was scattered from Acts chapter 8 to Acts chapter 20. And uh, they went from Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth, taking uh, the word of the Lord and the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. And so I think over the past eight months, we've been learning some deep, important insights about who God is, how he interacts with his people, what he wants from his people during times of diaspora. And what happened back then is applicable in so many ways for us here today in the 21st century. Today, what we're going to do is um, we're going to recognize that in this time of disruption and dispersion, that there's just this extreme FUD on one hand, this fear, this uncertainty, this doubt that have just weighed us down. But on the other hand, we want to remember that this has also been a time of great opportunity, of great uh, change within us. And it's been a time for us to reset and to restart um, not just society, not just the church, but our own personal lives. And so today what we want to do is just take a jet tour, rewind, into the past eight months. And I chose 10 reflections, 10 things that I think God wants us to be reminded of from this entire eight-month series. And I'm just going to go through these uh, briefly. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on each one. And I want you to be asking yourself, how, what is God speaking to me? Which one or two or three of these reflections do I really want to take away from this series uh, before we move forward to our next? And so um, we're just going to go right into it. Number one of ten reflections over the past eight months is in the month of March and the month of May, we looked at the topic of holiness and purity and this is a very important thing that comes about when people are disconnected from each other and from the church, is issues of holiness and purity um, are really brought to our attention. Uh, the Apostle Peter, who wrote to the diaspora Christians, he wrote in 1 Peter chapter 1, he said, he reminded them that because Jesus Christ lives in you, his resurrected life lives in you, church, that because of that we are not to conform, he says, to the evil desires that we had when we used to live in ignorance before we had Jesus in us. In 1 Peter chapter 2, he again writes that um, we are now part of God's kingdom, so we are sojourners, we are exiles, he says. And so because of that, we are to abstain from the passions of the flesh that wage war against our souls. Um, the emphasis on holiness and purity is an important one for uh, the Christians that Peter wrote to. It's an important emphasis for us here today. Um, God exposes a war that's going on not so much around us, but in us. The minute you became a Christian, 
Uh, Jesus is now at war with our old self, our old sinful desires. Now he has killed the, the stranglehold that that life had on you from the past because now he is living his life through your life. But it is a journey. It is a journey to conform our will to his. And he helps us. He gives us grace in his life through that. And through that journey, we receive life. Uh, but there is a war that is going on within us between our flesh and the desire to live holy and pure lives before God. And I think God is very patient with us in that journey. I think he understands that we don't just change immediately, uh, but it's a journey. We go up, we go down, we go sideways, we go backwards, we go forwards. Uh, but hopefully the Lord is, is, is helping us move forward towards him, and we are obeying that over time. But it's, a, it's kind of a winding journey, right? It's kind of we're lost in the wilderness sometimes, and we find the Lord, then we turn our back from him, then we come back to him. And I think God is incredibly patient through that. And he gives, that's a form of his grace, his loving kindness, his patience. But there are other times when God says, uh, I'm through being patient. And there is something that you need to change. And so what I'm going to do as God is just yank the rug out from under you. I, am, as God, am just going to change the conditions in which you are living to either expose in maybe a painful way some of the things that you've given your life to that are not from me, or I'm just going to change your entire circumstance so that I'm going to take some of those things away um, and just we're going to start anew. And I think God's grace comes to us that way sometimes, is that when we can't get over what is stopping us from being holy and pure, God just changes the conditions for us. And it is at that point that we have one of two choices. Choice number one that we have seen in our community is some people... They become, um, they become uh, willing to be teachable by the Lord. They repent. They turn to the Lord, and the Lord forgives them. He cleanses them, and they gain strength from that. They gain strength to overcome what they didn't before because of that uh, new, new scenario, new condition, that kind of violent action of God pulling the rug out from under them. And it was painful at the time, but they're very thankful in the end that God did that because it helps them to move forward and move forward towards him. So that's one uh, response we can do. The other response is to become stubborn, to become bitter, or to just long for uh, what God has taken away because it was the source of our life and not really God. And so uh, we have seen both types of people in our church. And which will you be? I think God... He gives us the grace to reset and to restart. And if he is moving in an area of your life to change things, um, he wants you to know this is your opportunity to come to him. And he will wipe away your past. He will not keep that record before you. You confess that. You come to him. You rely on him. And he will say, let's just restart. Let's just move forward from here. You know, I'll separate your sins as far as the east is from the west. I'll make you clean as as white as snow, though your sins were scarlet, in the words of the Old Testament prophet. And I think that's a real opportunity for us, uh, for holiness and purity. And God has done that with so many of us. He's changed the conditions through these past eight months. And we need to see this as an opportunity, not for what was lost, but as a reset and a restart in holiness and purity. Number two, in the month of March, we also talked about um, the importance of being alert and sober-minded. Alert and sober-minded. This is what the Apostle Peter emphasized many times throughout First Peter. Um, he said to the Christians in First Peter chapter one, "We are to have minds that are alert, fully sober, to set our hope on the grace given to us at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ." 
He said in 1 Peter chapter 4 that the end of all things is near. Be alert and sober-minded. He said in 1 Peter chapter 5, be alert and sober-minded for Satan seeks to devour you. Um, this word alert came from the Greek gragoreo, gragoreo, which meant to be watchful, to be cautious, to be actively attentive. Uh, this word sober-minded came from the word nafo, nafo, which means to be calm, collected, and temperate. God wants us to be alert, attentive, and he wants us to be calm, to be watchful. This is what Jesus said to his disciples in the Gospel of Matthew. He said, um, I will return at a time that you do not expect, and an hour at a time you do not expect. So be watchful for my return. What would your life look like if you were watchful, Christian? What would your life look like if, if uh, this is your very last day, your very last week, your very last month before Jesus returned? You know, one of the um, important things to, that, to be watchful, to be alert and sober-minded is to have a sense of urgency, and the way we have urgency is to be remember what uh, Peter was saying. We have two motivations for urgency to be alert and sober-minded. No, number one is the return of Christ. And number two is, is recognizing that Satan is uh, out for your destruction. Christ is going to return. And he could come, as we're saying, at any time. As he said, at any time. And what would your life look like if you were to live that way? You know, you know, I think a lot of things that hold us back or that distract us would just melt away if we knew, if we were to actually live, that this was, this was our last day, our last week, our last hour, our last month, our last year here on this planet before Jesus returned. It would really clarify what our lives are to be about. And I think the mature Christian is one where um, they live with that urgency. They live with that alert, sober-mindedness because they know that their master can return at any moment. And they don't want to get caught doing something they're not supposed to be doing or wasting time. And the second reason for urgency is also that we have to recognize we have an enemy out there who seeks our destruction. Satan seeks to tempt you. He seeks to accuse you. He seeks to deceive you. And he seeks your destruction. And uh, we are to be alert and sober-minded. There's an enemy out there. Sometimes we think that the problems that we have is simply our own failures. It's simply the way we were raised or grew up um, or what we had and what we didn't have. It's maybe uh, certain freak circumstances. And what we forget is that there's a spiritual war that is going on all around us. And there's a war being waged for your soul. And there's an enemy who is out to tempt you, accuse you, deceive you, and to destroy you. And so we need to be alert and sober-minded. You may have heard of, there's a pastor in the city of New York recently in the past couple weeks, and uh, he admitted to having an affair with another woman. He was, he's married, he has kids. Um, during the coronavirus, he had a several-month affair with another woman. This woman was on TV, uh, and she also shared uh, you know, that it was true. And uh, this pastor got fired from his church, and he got devoured by Satan through another woman. And he was not watchful. He was not alert. He was not sober-minded. And so it's just a, a very sobering reminder to us that the enemy is out there looking for our destruction. And so um, the Lord returning soon is a positive motivation to be alert and sober-minded. Satan out for our destruction is a negative um, sense of urgency we should have to be watchful and alert and sober-minded. Number three, uh, in the month of April, we looked at the topic of Suffering and perseverance, suffering and perseverance. The Apostle James 
Uh, he wrote to Christians who were um, poor Christians who were bis- being mistreated by the rich. And he also wrote to Christians who were being persecuted uh, for their faith um, under the persecution of Herod Agrippa I, a persecution that broke out in Acts chapter 12. And so he's writing to uh, mistreated Christians and persecuted Christians, and he's saying in James chapter 5 that we are to be patient until the coming of the Lord. We're not to grumble. Uh, the judge of Jesus Christ is at the door. It's so easy for us to grumble, uh, but Jesus doesn't want that, and he's, he doesn't, we don't want to lose our reward, some of our reward in heaven because we were grumbling uh, we want to receive our full reward. And James, again, goes on to say that as motivation, we are to remember the suffering of men like Job. Job suffered more than probably anyone else in the history of humanity other than Jesus Christ. And uh, he suffered, but James reminds us that the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Um, Peter re- reminds us in 1 Peter chapter 4 that God's will for our life is that when we suffer, that sin, we no longer live for sin, but for the will of God. Suffering is going to be part of your journey, church. Um, and many of us have suffered during the coronavirus. We've suffered physically. We've suffered spiritually. We've suffered emotionally. We've suffered relationally. Um, in, in, in many ways, we have suffered. And uh, God wants to take that suffering and develop perseverance in us because he knows that perseverance develops character. God wants to take that suffering and so that we can be cleansed of sin and now be committed to his will. And that will be good for us. Um, I want to read you a quote from someone in our church um, that shared about um, their own journey of suffering during the coronavirus event. And some of the reflections that they learned um, through this. They said this, quote, God is with me. The old person, the pessimistic, the negative person would have been very different from who God has been developed me into. Uh, I used to be a very depressed person, they said. Thankfully, God has been working on my life over the past two years. He has been working on me that I don't dwell on my perceived problems as much as I used to. I used to dwell on things I don't like in my life. And now God has been working on my life for all of the things I am to be thankful for. There's a lot to be thankful for. And God has given me an ability to see that things could be worse. I could have terminal cancer. I could be in pain. Things could always be worse, but it is not that bad. Even though I have not, uh, by the world, achieved a lot, God has grown me spiritually and to be an influence in the small sphere that I do have. I look at people in my life that have achieved more, but they don't have Christ. And I can recognize that it doesn't mean anything if you don't have Jesus. Um, you know, I, I love that quote because it, it just it just captures the journey of of trying to strive after God, but then realizing that there's loss in our life, that there's suffering in our life, that there's failure in our lives. Um, But then God can take that and remind us of how oftentimes he was protecting us um, from something worse or that he can take our lives and make it into something that will be uh, last for eternity. And, um, And that he can, and in the words of James, coming back to James when he wrote, um, with Job, lost everything. He lost his his um, his marriage. He lost his his kids. He lost his health. And um, God restored all of that, you know, through um, at the end of his suffering. And God wants to remind you, Christian, that if you've been suffering during the coronavirus event, it's not just to persevere to be stronger. It is to be reminded, in the words of James, that God can restore what was lost. And God will not abandon you. 
and to be faith, he will be faithful to you. And so persevere because God will make things right in the end. And you should take strength from that. Um, number four of ten. Uh, in the month of April, we looked at the topic of what we call Generation C. Generation C. Um, I guess it's that way on the video. Generation C. And uh, we kind of took this big picture look at what was happening. We asked ourselves the question of how will our generation be known as? History books will be written about this time in human history. There's no doubt about that. And how will they look back uh, 20, 30, 100 years from now if the Lord doesn't return before then or we just don't blow ourselves up on this planet? Uh, maybe we'll be living on Mars by then. I don't know. But um, how will our generation be known for by history, the future history? And we said... Uh, will our will Generation C stand for? Gen, will we be known as Generation Coronavirus? Will we be known as Generation Crash when the economy and the world came to a stop standstill? Will our generation be known as com, Generation Computer, where uh, this the, our leap forward into the digital adoption uh, was really finalized through this time? Will our generation be known as Generation Churchless, where people took this opportunity to just abandon the church since the church couldn't meet for a lot of 2020? And uh, this really just solidified the post-Christian, post-modern time in which we live in. Or will this generation be known as generation that the generation that brought Christ to people during the crisis? And we have a choice, church, about which generation we will be known as. Number five, um, in the month of May, we looked at um, living lives that are faithful as Christians in relationship to the world around us. Um, there was a saying, a popular thing that we were saying back in the month of May, and it went like this. I just want my life to return back to being normal. Remember? We were all saying that. I just, you know, my life has been disrupted. It's not normal anymore. I just want my life to go back to being normal. And we reminded ourselves that for the Christian, that is not the primary thing that should be coming off of their lips, just wanting their life to return back to normal. For the Christian, we need to be asking ourselves a different question, and it's this. Uh, how can I be living a spiritually abnormal life compared to the world? The world wants to return back to normal. That's not going to happen. But for the church in diaspora, how can we be living in spiritually abnormal life compared to the world? Um, the Apostle James said in James chapter 1, verse 27, he said that the religion that we have, that our God, our Father, our Father in heaven, that the type of religion that he wants that is pure and faultless is a type of religion James says, that cares after widows and orphans and that keeps ourselves unpolluted, unstained by the world. Uh, one of the things that we did early on, I think it was in the month of April, to fulfill James chapter 1, verse 27, that to have religion that was pure and faultless before God, one of the things he says is to care after widows and orphans or the poor among you was we established this fund called the Galatians chapter 6, verse 9 and 10 fund, which was designed to encourage the church to give above and beyond their normal offering to the separate fund in the church that 100% of the funds that will be used in this Galatians chapter 6, verse 9 and 10 fund would be go to Christians, primarily in our church, 
who were in financial need because we knew that the coronavirus was going to create a lot of economic hardship on people at the very beginning. Uh, this passage in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9 and 10, uh, where the Apostle Paul says, Let us not uh, we become weary in doing good, for we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And then he goes on to say, And let us do good unto all people, but especially those who are part of the family of believers. And so we established this separate fund. And I think to this day, we have received uh, something like 30000 or so dollars. And we have taken that money and given the vast majority of away to people in our church who have been in financial need. And so that is a real, uh, you are to be commended, church, for that. You have been um, living a spiritually abnormal life amidst um, a difficult time. And that is something that is blessed in the eyes of God. That is something that is pure and faultless in the eyes of God, looking after widows and orphans. Um, some of you have even given generously to those in foreign countries that um, are believers that are in deep financial need, even more than us here in America. And so um, you're to be commended for that. Number six of 10 uh, reflections over the past eight months is we've also talked about the importance of building up the church. In the month of May, we talked about how we as Christians are to build up the church when we come together. Um, the Apostle Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2, he reminded the church that we are living stones, he says. We are living stones because we are part of a house that's built of stone, built on the cornerstone of Jesus, and we are alive as stones, metaphorically, because Jesus is alive in us. We are living stones built up as a spiritual hell, house, as a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God, 1 Peter chapter 2 um, Peter reminds us that we are a living house. When we come together, we are to build each other up, not tear each other down. And this is acceptable to God because we are a holy priesthood. And the church should be a place where you are built up. I think we can safely assume that almost every single person has been torn down in some way during the coronavirus event, either torn down spiritually, emotionally, relationally, financially, um, physically, we, so many of us have been torn down. It is a very rare person who says that during the past, uh, during 2020, I have been built up. I'm much stronger now than I was before. I'm, I'm so much more better than I was before. Um, and there are definitely Christians that are like that. But I think for many of us, we have had the experience of being torn down. And when the church comes together, we should be asking ourselves the question of, uh, we should assume that everyone around us has been torn down in some way during the coronavirus event, during diaspora. And so we should be asking the question, if I assume that everyone is torn down, how can I now build them up as the church? How can I now build them up? Um, the writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, um, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds um, and let us not give up meeting together as the church, as some are in the habit of doing, he says. But let us um, encourage one another all the more as we see the day of Jesus' return approaching. Uh, we are to build each other up as a church. We want to ask ourselves the question, how can I um, express love towards this believer? How can I express goodness towards this believer? How can I encourage them to love and express goodness to others during this time? And through that, the church is built up as we do that through the power of God um, number seven, uh, in the month of May and the month of June, during the Black Lives Matter movement, where um, there was protesting 
um, and demonstrating in the streets, and there was even some rioting as well at certain stores all throughout this country, really throughout the world. It became a worldwide movement where um, that was drawing attention to issues of racial injustice, issues of the disparity between the rich and the poor. And, and people were calling for change. And what we talked about during that time was that the best change that the church can be a part of is not necessarily marching in the street. Really, the best change that the church should be a part of is demonstrating within the own family of God within the church that what Christ has brought together are relationships where the rich care for the poor in the church, where uh, different races are reconciled through Christ, and where uh, the church cares about injustice in the world. And we do that because God has healed us, and he has um, empowered us, and he has commanded us to express his very heart for the poor, for reconciliation, and for justice. And to connect all of those endeavors always to the gospel of Jesus Christ. This happens. We care about this. We strive for this through the power of Jesus. And because what Jesus has done together as a sign of his justice, his reconciliation, and his care and compassion for others. And we said that that is best done with a testimony to the gospel. Sometimes when the world um, tries to pursue um, uh, healing itself of injustice, healing itself of um, broken relationships, and the, the world tries to do that on its own without seeking the Lord first, you end up built, re, trying to rebuild the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11. You start to, um, you think with a high, um, uh, a high uh, kind of belief in the power of man. What people are trying, the world is trying to do is reestablish the image of man the image of Adam in the garden, to kind of live your life independently of the Lord. And the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11, they, they built this tower to re- reach up to the heavens saying, we can do this on our own outside of God. We can disobey God because we have the technology, we have the power to build this huge tower and we're all going to come together as one people. And God looked at that and said, this is evil. This is wrong. Um, they're disobeying my command to multiply and to, uh, to scatter throughout the whole earth. And he just scattered them. And they were trying to build this utopian society outside of God. And we want to be careful that the church does not follow the example of the world. And uh, really, the church should not be looking to the world to see how the world is solving these problems and then join along. And I think that that too often is what happened uh, this past summer and spring, where the church was following the lead of the world. The church should never follow the lead of the world. Uh, The church should be leading the world. The church should be declaring that we should not be pursuing the image of man outside of God. We should be pursuing the expressed image of Christ that can heal us and that can move us to care about justice and to care about people coming together and to show compassion to one another. And so we talked about that in the month of May and June. And so uh, very important to keep the gospel at the center of that. Number eight. Uh, in the month of July, we talked about the importance of being hearers and not just doers of the word. The Apostle James, as you know, talked about this in James chapter 1. He said, if, you're, if you just hear the word, but don't do the word, in other words, if you just hear sermons or just read the Bible or um, just read Christian books, but you don't apply it in your life, you're a hearer, but not a doer. And James goes on to with a metaphor. He says in James 1 that if you're a hearer, but not a doer, you're like a man who looks at himself in the mirror and sees himself 
but immediately walks away and forgets what he looks like. And um, James was saying that you forget what you look like in your fallen state, and you forget what you look like um, as a redeemed Christian. And so when you just hear but don't apply, we forget both of those things. What James and the Lord wants to remind us about during the coronavirus event, during this diaspora, is that it's become an artificial environment for us. Uh, we relate to one another in the church now digitally, not relationally. And the church was never meant to be designed to be a digital experience primarily. It was meant to be a relational, in-person experience primarily. Um, now, the digital world has been both blessing and bane in terms of information about the kingdom of God. Um, it's been a blessing in that we can learn from almost anyone in the world who uploads something um, onto the Internet. And I do that too. You do that. We, we've all benefited from that. The gospel has gone further, faster because of the Internet and the uh, digital word than, um, than it ever could have before. But it's also been a bane in that it's, especially during the coronavirus it's created an environment where we've become hearers and not doers of the word. We can hear information from different people, different places, um, even from our own church. Um, but there's really no, um, the, the environment that moved us to apply it oftentimes is taken away. Because if you're just watching a video and you just kind of consume it and you're not actually in relational community with the church, uh, it's, it sets up an environment for us to just gain knowledge but not apply it. Um, and there's a great danger in that because the Apostle Paul said um, in the book of 1 Corinthians, he said, knowledge puffs up, but what? Love builds up. He said, if, if you just gain knowledge about the Christian faith, it can, you can become prideful, but it is loving others that builds you up in accordance with that knowledge. And it's, it's not a healthy situation to just listen to different pastors from different churches um, who have no idea who you are, and you don't even know, have, know, have any idea who they are. They're just a voice and an image on a screen, which is great to get information, but it's not how the church was designed. Really, you need to be at a place and at a church where you're in an environment where you can be both not just a hearer, but a doer of the word in community. And number nine, um, we also looked in the summer about the dynamic between the older and the younger in the Christian faith, that the older are to provide an example for the younger, and the younger are to have the humility to follow those who are older, who are worthy of respect, and have lives that we can emulate as they follow Christ. Um, the Apostle Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 5, he said, Elders in the church, you are to shepherd the church faithfully, lovingly. Um, you are not to domineer over uh, those that you shepherd. You are not to be greedy for gain, but you are to provide an example for them. And he said that to the elders. I think that's definitely elders who are pastors in the church. But I also think there's a secondary implication. It's also people who are older in the faith in general, uh, maybe more mature, maybe um, uh, kind of older in age. But he also said in 1 Peter 5, after that, he said, those of you that are younger, be submissive to those who are older and um, clothe yourselves, all of us, with humility. For God will um, oppose the proud, but he will lift up the humble, exalt the humble. And we reminded ourselves that in diaspora, sometimes the older cannot provide an example for the younger, and the younger don't want to follow uh, a good example. If you're an older Christian in the church, it is imperative that you provide an example to younger Christians. Um, I think one of the most disheartening things that happens in the church is when um, the older Christians, the elders, not just the leaders, but also the um, other Christians that are older in the church, 
are not providing an example in their own life for the younger Christians that they can emulate. In fact, when you look at the Old and New Testament, you find that the older people got in the faith, the older these people that we look up to, the Moseses, the Calebs, the Daniels, and, and so many other men, and really women in the Bible, the older they got in the Bible, um, the more dynamic, generous, and risk-taking, and um, faithful their lives became. Their lives did not check out as they got older. In fact, God used um, them when they were older to do some of their mightiest works when they were older, not when they were younger. And they provide an example for those of us that are younger that the older you get, um, the more dynamic your faith should become. And I think when we don't provide for that in the church, sometimes if we're older in the church, we provide the opposite example. We provide an example for those who are younger that the older you get, your faith becomes more safe, more um, reserved, and your faith kind of gets lowered to the lowest common denominator expression of Christianity. And we, we sometimes as we as older Christians say, you know what, those younger ones, they're the ones to do the work of the kingdom. Now that I'm older, my role is really to be in the background. My role is, you know, I kind of had my time when I was younger. Now that, no, that, you don't find that in the Old or the New Testament. And so I think it's very important for us as older Christians to provide that example for the younger Christians. And those of us that are younger, the name of the game is to have a dynamic faith to find other older people in the faith, some elders that you can emulate your faith after that are showing that the older you get, the more dynamic your faith gets. Um, and to remain humble and to remain teachable. If you do those two things, that's the winning combination. Um, I think that it's a very great danger for you who are younger in the church that if you are in a community of people that when you look at, around at the older Christians around you, if they are not providing for you that example for you to emulate, then um, I think that you're in a very unhealthy place because what's going to be emulated for you is something that's not consistent with what was happening in the Bible, and you will not gain life from that. You'll, give, you'll gain safety and an anesthetized faith from that. But you won't gain the dynamic faith that is needed for the kingdom of God. So you gotta, if you're younger, you gotta find older people to be around that are, um, provide that dynamic example for you. Um, and finally for today, number 10. Uh, in the month of September, we looked at the issue of spiritual movement in the Christian faith. Spiritual movement. In Acts chapter 16, the apostle Paul, Luke, Silas, and Timothy, as they moved, um, westward, from Turkey, they moved to Macedonia to do this incredible ministry on their second missionary journey. But in Acts chapter 16, verse 6 through 10, it says that Paul and his companions, as they went westward and northward through modern-day uh, Turkey, they were doing ministry there, and the, the Spirit of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, and ultimately God called them away to a different place. And they were actually blocked from going to different places as they were moving forward, and then they finally made their way to modern-day Greece. Macedonia and Acacia. And what this reminds us of is that if there was anyone who would have known the will of God outside of Jesus in the New Testament, it would have been Paul. That, that'd be my guess. I mean, Paul met Jesus. He wrote so much of the New Testament under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And it, it reminds us in this passage in Acts chapter 16 that even Paul at times um, didn't know exactly where to go. He knew the will of God and he was doing the will of God, but as he moved to different places and he got blocked by the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, 
and God moved him to Macedonia in our passage, um, he was just kind of moving and then got blocked by God, and God ultimately directed him to the right place. The hardest person for God to move is not the person who's moving in God's direction, but is a few degrees off, left or right. It's not the person who is moving generally in God's direction, but moving too slow or too fast. God can work with that. What God has a difficult time working with is the person who is unwilling to move at all. Is the person who's stubborn or bitter or just um, lukewarm. And don't let yourself be that Christian. Uh, We want God to do amazing things through our lives, but stagnation is one of the greatest threats to your Christian faith. Not just false teaching, not just having an unloving spirit, um, but stagnation is a threat in your life. And so um, I want to give to you this quote from someone in our church who talked about um, their own stagnation at times and the importance of movement. They said, we've gone into this hibernation indoors, they said. Uh, They say that Rome was not built in a day. It was built one brick at a time over many days and years and decades. And they said, I feel like everyone's individual empire is crumbling away one brick at a time. Our work ethic and good habits are being destroyed now. And I built so much momentum doing productive things and being a productive person. Now, slowly, each brick is being taken down. Every day that I'm inside and I'm choosing the negative thing, I have read a lot of stuff about not being lazy. My main thing is that we are slowly losing it or gaining it every day, whatever it is. The time should be spent more so on seeking guidance from people who have experience with the gospel. This person's talking about the struggle with their own stagnation. And... Um, 